This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? Like Nation News Podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Red Nation Oops on Twitter. You're joined by my co-host, Forrest Walker. How you doing, man? Hey, how's it going? Also joined by special guest, Matt Moore. How you doing, Matt? Doing well, man. How are you? Doing all right. So we have a lot to talk about. I guess we should probably start talking about what, the Kenneth Fareed signing since you were pretty close with him in Denver. You got a chance to see him up close, interview him, uh, know his habits, how do you feel about this signing for Houston? Well, I wouldn't say I was close to, to, to Kenneth. I don't know any media member that is close to Kenneth Fareed. But I did cover him for several years in Houston. And I would say that, uh, you know, I think I think it was a, a good signing. It was funny because for years we kind of talked about how the kind of coach that he needed to play for was Mike D'Antoni. Like that was a perfect fit for him, a coach that would get him out in uh, training transition, attacking the rim, you know, just rim running. That's where he's good. Um you know, I think he's been humbled by what's happened to his career over the last couple of years, and he'll be hungry to prove everybody wrong. He's a defiant guy. He's a prideful guy. Um, he's also a guy that's going to play extremely hard offensively. He will play very hard on that end. There were signs the last couple of years that he was willing to give more effort defensively, that he was getting better on that end. And sometimes it just takes guys until later in their careers to be better defensively. And I think that you know, early on, the returns have been good. Look, at some point in the playoffs, it's going to be apparent that he's going to struggle, and it's going to bug Rockets fans a lot. Uh, this is a pretty typical signing, right? You pick him up mid-season, you're like, oh, he's such a revelation. This is so amazing. And then the playoffs come, and you're like, oh, that's why no one wanted him. Oh. But, you know, at the same time, with where they're at with, with injuries, it's he's great for them right now. He's gotten them through some a, a rough patch. When Capella gets back and he's in a bench role, I think it'll be fine. I think it helps a lot just the fact that, you know, Nene can't really go – heavy minutes consistently anymore and so Fareed can give you those minutes and um he will make energy plays and make big and he'll get the crowd excited and there will be times when Fareed will help you on the floor and if you can mitigate the times when he doesn't you should be in good shape yeah how worried uh, should Rockets fans be about the fact that he basically got eaten alive by uh Joel Embiid the other day I mean, that's just a size mismatch. Like, Fareed hasn't really played center all that much. He's always played power forward. And so that got to be where he couldn't play power forward because he can't guard stretch wings. He can't guard stretch fours at all. That's his biggest weakness. That's worse than him going up against a guy like that. But 
you know, Embiid should eat him alive. Like, that should be a thing. Um, in the Western Conference, who are you really worried about him guarding? Like, who, who is the guy that you're looking at and saying, like, this guy is going to drop 35 on him? Um, you know, I don't think Cousins is in that role with Golden State. I'm not sure that you're worried about, you know, you're worried about Jokic scoring, but Jokic isn't going to overpower you and dunk on you. He's just going to work around you and, and do all the things that he does. Um you know, if you're talking about like Oklahoma City, he might have trouble with with Stephen Adams for sure. That might be a problem. Uh, but overall, it's not like there's a lot of dominant centers that are, no teams are built around their center the way that Joel Embiid is. And so, um, I think it should be okay at least for the playoffs. I think yeah, what's I- important to note is he's going to play a backup. He's gonna, like, Clint Capella is going to play like 35 minutes a night. Like Kenneth Reed in the playoffs will play maybe 10 to 15 minutes a game, and that's ideally what the Rockets want from him. You would assume because. I mean, he just can't defend in space like Clint Capella can, and we saw some of it against the Raptors. Like he, he just he can't guard guys like Kyle Lowry out in the perimeter. He just he's just perfect in this backup center role. I feel like what you said on the outset is perfect. Like he is, I feel like he was designed in a lab to play backup center for Mike Tantoni. Like I feel like that's his ideal position in this league. Th- that's where he belongs, and. Ooh. I don't think, yeah, you're right. Like he's he's not going to see much time against these guys. He's not going to see much time against Jokic or Stephen Adams or any of these big brooding centers. I think he's going to be mostly like a spot minutes guy. Well, and having guys who can come off the bench and do things is a uh, something that the Rockets have badly needed for this entire season. So, yeah, it's been fun, which is a welcome change. <laughs> I saw, so uh, all right, Matt. I think that this would be a good place to tell you. Uh, I want you to have the chance to say I told you so. I think uh, you've earned that <laughs> to appear on this Rockets podcast. Uh, please feel free to go off right now. <laughs> About what in particular? Are you laughing? Oh, I guess their uh, defense, yeah. right? <laughs> like, okay. Their defense is really bad. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, what I tried to explain in preseason was just that when you have a special combination, it doesn't come back the same. And Rockets fans were very adamant that, no, 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 we have Harden and Capella and, and Chris Paul. And as long as we have those guys... We're fine. We're fine. Everything's going to be the exact same. And it's like, no. Like, you have to have the right combination of guys. Um, and certainly injuries have played a part. You know, like, certainly injuries have played a part. But Capella, before the injury, had a rough couple months. He started to turn it around when they put him more in the drop scheme. But a lot of what made Houston great last year was Houston was the team that had this ISO-heavy, brilliant offense led by Harden and Paul. It was super efficient. Um and then defensively, they were one of the only teams in the league, there's about four of them, that could just switch everything. They were just like, nope, we're going to switch everything. Uh, and they can't do that anymore. They just can't switch. And not even Capella can switch anymore. Like, it was a one-year thing that worked, and then teams have kind of adjusted. And, you know, if we see the Warriors in the playoffs, they'll probably go back to that, and they may have some success. But I'm not sure that they're going to have the level of success they did last year. Now, and my only point was not that they were not going to be good, just that they weren't going to be as good. And this year, they're still really good. They're just not as good. And that's kind of the point. And the problem is, in the West, if you drop a little bit, you drop a lot. Um, we'll see You know what happens. I think they've, they've managed the stretch really well. Like Harden going off for 60 every night has been really impressive. 
Um, we'll see. I'm a little bit worried about his minute load. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about his about his exhaustion level and what he's going to have in March and April when it's like, you know, you still got to win games. Like you're still going to need to win games if you want to keep a top four seed. Otherwise, you're getting a really good. You know, if you go into if you get caught in a two seven versus OKC, that could be really tough. A three six versus OKC could be really tough. Um, if you get Denver, fine, they can't beat you at all. But if you end up with a four five versus Utah, that could be very tough. Like a lot of this is matchups. Um, so they're going to, I think they need to, they need to figure out a way to get James's minutes down, which, which D'Antoni has just shown no interest in to this point. And it's something that he really needs to start thinking about long-term. Yeah. I was literally going to ask you about that, that, uh, how sustainable is all this that he's doing both in the regular season? Like, can he, I mean, this is a level of excellence that is frankly unbelievable to watch. I mean, it, it's becoming rote, but it's not rote. This is bizarre and unprecedented. So you answered if you think it's sustainable in the playoffs. Uh, I, I'm inclined to agree with you that the, he is going to have to get some relief. He needs some people to help him. But, I mean, how long do you think he can keep doing this? Like, this is just, is this just like a one-month stretch? Or could he just keep doing this for another, you know, a couple of months or so if they let him? I mean, I think it changes when Paul gets back. I just think, like, minutes load-wise and usage-wise and how the team functions, I just think it, it fundamentally changes when Chris is back. Um, you know, he probably could push it another month given his just usage, right? Um, but there is a tail off. I did an article on Action Network talking about why you want to fade his MVP chances, and part of it was his points per game do take a dip in March and April, and we noticed his shooting percentages do the same thing in the last two years as well, which it's just really hard to do this the entire year. It's just really difficult to do that the entire year. Um, so, you know, I think he... he I think it's admirable that he's trying to do this to lead his team to be the guy that's like carrying them. But this to me is more on D'Antoni to be like, no, 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 no. Like we're playing for June. We think we can win a title. I need you in the best condition possible. And I don't know how that vibes with what Harden wants. Cause Harden may be like, yes, but I'm going to win MVP again. <laughs> um, and Harden, I think is going to have to make a decision at some point. Does he want the second MVP or does he want to make a, a real run at the Warriors? Yeah. And on on James Harden, I mean, on a lighter note, have you ever seen anything like this? Because I, I feel like we could sort of compare this to Westbrook's MVP a couple of years ago, just in terms of the sheer usage. But the scoring run and the the records that he's like like to be in a conversation with Wilt, like those records are untouchable. Like the the, the Wilt records in NBA history, they just no nobody ever gets close. And the, the fact that Will, that Harden is in that same breath at this moment, I mean, have you ever seen a player do what he's doing right now offensively? Well, I mean, I've never seen it do it, like, just in terms of the scoring load at night in and night out. I mean, Kobe was, was pretty close to this, but with the efficiency, no. I think, uh, you know... To me, the impressive thing is how much like how much he passes along with it. Like he's still racking a double digit assist. Like he's the entire engine of the offense. You know, you mentioned Will. Um, part of the thing to remember with Will, like and and like I think this is valid. Is um, I tend to, to look past Wilt a lot because I'm just like, look, it was the '60s. He's playing against like dudes that were milkmen in the off season. Like they were, <laughs> like those dudes were mechanics when they weren't playing ball. Um, at the same time. <laughs> It's also important to remember that we'll average 50 points a game in a season for 80 games. Just like, stupid. He, yeah, he averaged 50 points and 26 rebounds. Like, uh, and, you know, it's, it, the, 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 he's being compared to Wilt because, you know, no one's had this many games since Wilt. 
except that Will did it like every single game. Like he averaged 50 points for eight, for 80 games. He averaged 45 points the next season for 80 games. He averaged 37 points the next season for 80 games. Like it's the Wilt numbers I think are untouchable, but a lot of that I think is a competition and to see every night teams know it's Harden and you have got to get in on him. I mean, I think we saw that versus the Raptors where I thought Toronto's game plan versus Harden was very good. He was just like, then I'm going to pass. If you if you purposefully take away my scoring, I'm going to eat you alive with Pat with playmaking. Um, and that, I think, is a testament to his approach because it would be very easy for him to be like, I'm going to force this up. I want to keep scoring. And yet he knows, like, look, I'm going to get enough shots up and I'm going to get to the line. I can get to 30 points. Like, I can get there. I can get, and that's all I got to do to keep the streak up is I just got to get to 30. Um, so he doesn't need to score that extra you know, twenty to you know ten to twenty points um, in order for the streak to keep going, and he just tore them up with passing. Um, it will be interesting to see. I think like there will come a team that just decides that is able to take those things away. You know, Eric Gordon, I thought really stepped up in that Raptors game, but he's going to have to keep doing that if they're going to have a chance to to, to keep winning um, because teams are going to dare him more and more. They're going to be like, all right, he can have twenty assists. But we got to take a scoring away, and and the other guy stepping up, I think, is going to be big because, you know, they're very low on dudes. That changes when Chris gets back. If Chris gets, but the big question is, which Chris are you getting back? Are you getting Chris Paul from last year, top five player, or are you getting the shell of himself he was for the first two months of the season? And that's a very big question looming for the Rockets. Yeah, that's actually the next question we were going to ask you. Like in terms of Chris Paul, like. He obviously he's getting up there in age, and the hamstring injuries are starting to pile up. Like, do you have any hope of him becoming that same top ten elite elite point guard ever again, or do we just think that he's going to become like kind of like Steve Nash towards the end of his prime, where you'd see a great game every now and then, but it's really up and down and really inconsistent, and the shooting percentages are way off. Like, what kind of Chris Paul do you expect back? I mean, I think we got a better one than we got for the first two months of the season because you know I think if we look at I did an article a couple of years ago on Manu and Wade in the finals and about how like this is what it robs you of. It robs you of your consistency. Um, you're right that we're still going to have games. The question is, like, we're, I don't think we're going to have this drop-off where it's like he has a good game every now and again. I think we'll see kind of the inverse of that, which is like Chris is going to have like a good game, a good game, a good game, a really great game. Oh, boy, he didn't have it that night. Just did not have it that night. Uh, not a good one the next night either. Oh, but back to Chris again. Good game, good game, good game. Bad game, bad game, great game, bad game. So I think we're going to see that inconsistency go versus the Chris Paul of like three years ago. You knew what you were getting every single night. You were getting 21, uh, 21 and 8 every single night on reliably consistent shooting. I think we're going to see that start to vary a lot more as he gets older. That's not so bad, actually. I mean, so I think you've seen that plenty of people's takes about Chris Paul is that he's just washed and it's done. It's already yeah, done. Yeah, and that's, and that's ridiculous. Like, that's just not how it goes. Like, look, there are nights when Wade is the best player on the floor. They're very few and far between. But there are nights when Dwayne Wade has still got it for stretches, at least. Um, we saw that the last couple of years. And, and like, it's very you, you don't walk into a season and just gone. So much of it's also just muscle memory. Like guys just get to the same spots over and over and over again. That's why veterans wind up playing more and lasting and why they're still able to do stuff. It's why Vince Carter's still playing because you're still able to get to, to different places. Um, the problem, though, is, you know, if he he may be a guy that just like injuries rack up like he may be a guy that he's back you know the, the hamstring is a real problem and you have to rest it so much which is why he's been out so much but it could come back at any point and that's that's really concerning because if Houston loses him for any period of time you know they're not sunk but things get bad in a hurry 
Yeah, we've definitely seen that they become much more inconsistent. Like the number of things that need to go wrong to derail them last year was so much higher than this season. This season, it just kind of takes the role players of a bad night, and any given team might be able to beat them. Uh, so, yeah. all right. If, if, so, if if they do manage to get healthy, uh, let's say that by some some grace of fate, everyone's basically healthy uh, for you know, late season playoffs, etc. Do they have some depth at this point? I've been looking at this roster, and I they've made a lot of kind of nice additions over the season. Not so much in the off season, but over the season, I feel like they've added a bit of depth. And I want to know where where you're at regarding that. I think losing Daniel House was pretty bad. I think that was, I think that was a blow. Um, I think, look, you know. Rivers is shooting 42% from the field, 33% from three-point range. So as much as everybody's like, like he's been really good, well, well, he's been a dude. <laughs> but 42-33 isn't going to get anybody really excited. Um, you know, Ennis continues to just kind of plug along, and, and his minutes, I think, are really inconsistent. He's obviously been in and out of the doghouse. He's only appeared in 34 games. Uh, Gerald Green, like they're realizing, like they put a lot in on Gerald Green. Like that was one of the things that was apparent from the summer was they were like, no, no, it's we think really Gerald concerning. Green can step up. Yeah, yeah, they 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 were like, no, we think Gerald Green can step up, and I was like, mm, I don't know if you want to do that. Like Gerald Green can can keep doing what he did, and that's good. Um, you know, like Gary Clark uh, shooting twenty nine percent from three. I mean, I I don't really know if you're gonna say that they have depth. It's I don't really know. It's like, do they have guys? Yes, but. It's everything is still predicated on Harden. Like everything is still predicated on Harden. Um, it's not a bad roster by any means. Uh, I think I think their top four are great. Obviously, right? Like Harden, Paul, Capella, and Tucker. Like Tucker's been phenomenal. Like I just think you know PJ Tucker's shooting thirty eight percent from three. Great defense. Like awesome effort. Six point three rebounds. Just playing great. Um, Gordon has probably underperformed relative to what he's capable of. Okay, so you're up to five guys. Rivers is fine. The the I think here's the problem. Rivers, look at those numbers that I just listed for Rivers and realize that this may be the good stretch for Austin Rivers. Like, you haven't hit the bad stretch of Austin Rivers, and he shot 33% from three. That's a concern, I think. For me personally, I would be concerned by that. Um, I think there was there were good signs last night in the win over the Raptors in that they play better defense. I think that that's promising. Um, losing on James not only was big. Like the guys that they're missing, you're like, oh, they really miss him, and it's like those are two guys that are not necessarily that were not considered NBA guys coming into the season. That's a concern. Um, so like. They have guys, but it also I don't think the depth really matters because you know that once you get to the second round, you know, D'Antoni's playing Harden, Rivers, Tucker, Capella, Paul, Gordon, and either Fareed or Nene. And that's it. Like, they're playing seven dudes. That's, that's what they're doing. Like, he's done that every year of, of his career. He always overplays guys in the playoffs. That's what he does. So I don't know that even if you had better depth, which I don't think you do, it doesn't really matter because D'Antoni's not going to play him. So speaking of depth, we're rapidly approaching the trade deadline. It's it's gonna we're like two weeks away, and we're already starting to see columns being written about it. Um, 
how can the Rockets add depth through this trade deadline? They, they obviously have this Brandon Knight contract, which they're looking to get off of. They have all their first-round picks moving forward. Is that enough? Like, What kind of player can you realistically get with a package like that? What kind of players are available? Has there, has there been anybody you kind of dream-teamed up you know, into, into this Rockets roster? Uh, I can't think of anybody I've dream-teamed up. I think, look, a, a good opportunity might be Garrett Temple, right, is send the Brandon Knight contract for Garrett Temple, one of the contracts they want to get off of, and give him the first-round pick. It's You're not going to use that pick. You don't need that pick. You don't care about that pick, and Memphis needs it. And Garrett Temple's a guy that played in – he originally played in RGV. So he's very familiar with the Rockets' system. Uh, he's consistent. He's a wing. He can defend. He would be a, a great pickup for Houston. Um, and a first-round pick for him, I think, gets it done easily. So – like I think that's probably like an option that you can you can look at. Um, uh, the dream obviously was Baysmore for a long time. That might wind up happening. Like I could see that being a deal where Atlanta's so bad they don't really care, so they could give up Baysmore. That's been rumored since preseason um, and never came about. But if they were to get Baysmore, that's a help. You just need one more wing, just anybody, just anybody that can defend and shoot threes. Just one more, one more dude you can put on the on the edge. Um, and there are those guys out there. But I think they will be difficult to find. Like you're not gonna, like I, I also don't think anybody in the West is going to help you. Like the the West is so deep that the West like nobody can afford to give you a good player because they're all trying to make the playoffs. Like 12, 13 of the fifteen teams are realistically in the playoff race right now. Um, so that's out. And in the East, I don't know how many good players there are to share. So I don't know who you're going to be able to get. You might be able to get like Alan Crabb or something, but you're going to have to go for like a reclamation project, like kind of Kenneth Fareed was. Those are more, you know, buyout season may honestly be the more likely option, I think, for Houston. Uh, I do appreciate that you incidentally just firebombed the Eastern Conference in passing. That was great. Thank you. Right. Uh, all right. So uh, where where are we looking at with this team in general? Like what kind of what are your expectations for yeah, like a ceiling, you know? Yeah. I can it. See, <laughs> I, no, I mean, I can see them making the Western Conference Finals. Like, I can still see that. Like, um, let's say that they wind up in a – let's say uh, OKC surges, gets the two. Uh, Houston dips – or uh, Denver dips and gets the three. Um, and Houston winds up in the sixth spot. That, you know, the Lakers, like LeBron comes back and they rattle off a bunch of wins. And Utah keeps its pace. And that's the four or five. And then Houston's six. Well, Houston's going to be Denver. Like, Houston's going to be Denver badly. It's going to be ugly. Like, it's going to be a, a disappointing, really bummer of an ending to Denver's season. They cannot do anything with Houston. They can't stop Harden. They can't stop the shooters. They can't score on them. They can't get – they can't score inside on Capella. They can't do anything. Like, they are – Denver is terrified of facing Houston. Um, so, you beat them, and now you're in the second round in a 2-3 matchup, most likely versus OKC. Okay. Well, you know you can beat them, right? You've, you've beaten them before. Uh, you beat them two years ago. This is a better team, obviously, with Paul George. Um, you're able they they are a team that offensively can go absolutely frigid. And if you get hot, if your shooters have a series where they're warm and they don't miss twenty seven three pointers in a row, then you could just simply outpace them with math because they don't have the shooting capacity to keep up. It'd be a tough, ugly series, but that's like a that's like a series where I could see the Rockets winning. I wouldn't give them I would probably wouldn't favor them. I'd probably pick OKC, but I wouldn't say it was like over in five. And then you're in the Western Conference Finals and like that's a good season. You went to back to back Western Conference Finals. It doesn't matter that the Warriors then beat you by a million. Like it doesn't matter. 
because you made the Western Conference Finals two years in a row despite all of your injuries. I just don't know what you're going to do to get past that. Like last year, you had a real capacity to beat the Warriors. You should have beaten the Warriors. You did beat the Warriors. You had them there. You would have won that series. And Chris got hurt. Um, and this year, I don't think that if everybody's healthy, I don't think that you can take three games off of them. I think that you're losing in probably six, um, let alone you know winning the series. So, you know, to me, I think that your 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 hard ceiling is like a fine showing versus the Warriors, where it's not really all that impressive. You have the capacity to spoil a lot of other good teams that are interesting and fun. You could ruin their seasons, and maybe that's like what Houston needs to be doing. Is just like. Focus on getting hard in the second MVP and spitefully ruining all these other other team seasons. <laughs> I think there's no argument to be made that the Rockets have spitefully ruined much of the league. I mean, a, a lot of the way that the league is playing seems to be influenced by, hey, let's just take a million threes. Uh, so, yeah, I, I've seen many people quite angry about what the Rockets have done to the NBA. So, spoilers, a pretty good role for them. Yeah, and it's important to note that the Rockets aren't the only team that's going to try to get better at the deadline. Like all of these Western Conference teams are buyers. There, there's going to be OKC is definitely going to try to get another shooter or another wing like that they can possibly add to that roster. So other teams are going to get better. It's going to get tougher, and it's going to be harder for them to climb the standings. It's already pretty getting pretty hard with Portland having a game up on them right now, and they just will not lose. And you look at teams like. Oklahoma City who you know there's it's the same thing like the Rockets are having trouble climbing the standings because of the big hole they put themselves in which is why you know these these October games matter a lot more than fans give give them credit for but yeah I mean you're 100% right like I I think this team has a lower a substantially lower ceiling than they did than they had last year unless they make some amazing moves at the deadline i it's hard for me to envision them in that same spot that they were in the playoffs last year where they were just a chris paul hamstring away from winning it all um but i mean i i think in terms of salvaging the season i think it's you know i i'm not sure what you think about this matt i mean compared to where they were two months ago i think Rockets fans would happily take like a second round elimination compared to like not making it all and possibly getting like the 10th seed, which is what they were looking at realistically like two months ago. You're always like so like calm and rational and like big picture. Like, I don't think that's true at all, man. The people I interact with are, I would like, if they lost in the second round, would be bitter and mad and disappointed and think it was like they really think that they're still the second best team in basketball. Um, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. That's true, guys. You don't defend at all, and you know your entire offense is basically predicated around, please God, let James save us, which is really hard to do for an entire playoff series. Um, I think that you know, look, it, it's true that they dug out of the hole, you know, but this team, the the idea was this team was still going to be as good as last year, and it's kind of returning to our, our first conversation. Like they're just not as good. Um, they're still good. James Harden's incredible. He's amazing. He's got a real shot at the MVP. But like, if you want to win a title, the biggest thing is like if they're going to win a title, um, they're going to have to go this summer, and they're going to have to find a way. And I, this is the problem. is This is what frustrates me about the whole situation. So the Warriors have all these guys, and they've managed a cap, and everything's fine. But like the Rockets, they had to pay through the nose to keep Chris Paul and Capella because you can't lose those guys, so you got to pay them. But you also obviously have to pay your MVP, but that means that you don't have any cap availability to go sign the discount guys. Like you don't get to go get 
like a really nice signing. You don't, and you don't, you sold all your assets to get these this conglomeration of players, but they really need. That's the thing is like they really needed Ariza and Mbamute. Mbamute has been hurt and he's been out. Like that's just like that's just like injuries took away at Luke. You need another Luke really badly, and you need a guy like Ariza back. Not Trevor specifically, just a guy in that role. A guy that you can reliably say is like, no, he's going to shoot 38% from three. Like, I know he's going to shoot well. Like, I just know he's, he's going to shoot well, and he's going to defend at a really high level. Um, the defense is honestly more important. You know, you can you, – you make so many threes, you don't have to, to – you don't have to shoot all that well. You just need really consistent, great defense. And Rivers has played okay, but Rivers is also – there are times when Rivers is a bad defender. And so – you need to find those wings and make up for what you're missing on the edge. Yeah, those guys, it seems like they used to be easier to find, but now everybody's putting a higher premium on the uh, the 3 and D player than several years ago. So it's a tough market. I mean, it, it's almost like the salary cap is doing its job. Yeah, and Forrest and I talk about this all the time. Like, the CBA was meant to limit a team like Houston from getting better. The problem is the CBA didn't account for the Golden State Warriors. And, like, it, it, it pretty much hard caps a team like Houston or Oklahoma City or Philadelphia from getting better without accounting for this monster conglomerate of a basketball team in Oakland. Like, it, it, it's, it's just... I'm sure there are people in the league office that are just looking at this situation and like, I cannot wait for Kevin Durant to leave this team. Like, they, they'll never admit it publicly. But I, I'm sure there are people in the league office that really... It really irks them that Kevin Durant chose to go to this team in 2016. Yeah, I mean, it's it's frustrating, but there's also a... I think the reason that I don't think you hear more criticism is if you ask any of them, like, would you have done the same thing? They're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I definitely yeah. would have done the same thing. 100%. 100%. It, it, the, the Warriors were rational actors, and uh, so is every other team that's trying to get up and try to catch up and beat them. Uh, we really thank you for spending your time and giving us your rational, national opinion on this team because I feel like a lot of times we get bogged down in the in the local, you know, minutia of trying to understand this basketball team in the larger context of the NBA. Uh, where can we follow you on Twitter, Matt? Follow me on Twitter at HP Basketball or at Matt Moore T A N. Thank you, Matt. Thanks guys. So that was Matt Moore. Again, you guys can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball, which I'm sure most of you guys already are. Uh, if you're if you're interested in the NBA in any way, shape, or form, you're following Matt Moore on Twitter. Uh, he is great. He posts a lot of infi- insightful stuff. Uh, he has a unique perspective. Uh, he posts a lot of great stuff for the Action Network, which he is a part of, uh, on NBA gambling. Even if you're not an NBA gambler, he posts a lot of interesting things on there. He writes a lot of great columns. Uh, I mean, for the years, Matt Moore has been a go-to for NBA fans like me uh, for a national unbiased perspective and i'm glad we were able to get him on today we want to do something special for our 100th episode forrest and i are not naive we know the 100th episode is something special for a podcast we know that a lot of podcasts don't even get to 100 and so we wanted to make this one special we wanted to get a guest that we knew you guys would like we knew you guys know very well so again Follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. Follow me on Twitter at Solmonelli NBA. And follow Forrest on Twitter at Donuts. And that is at D U N O T S. And yeah, guys, good night.
guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest-rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT.